welcome, one and all, to the ninth, I think, episode of The Feminine Critique. I'm Emily. With me is... Um, Christine. <laughs> Christine, who had a uh, case of turning 45 years older this week. <laughs> no, um, I just, I've been, I've been ill, <clears throat> and it's just kind of settled in my throat now. I feel perfectly fine. You but... like a nice, sexy Angela Lansbury class with your voice right now. <laughs> you should watch that's super sexy. You're right. Read some audiobooks and and send like record yourself doing that and send it in as like an audition for reading audiobooks and see if it goes over. I'll have to do it in the next like day and a half though because I, I don't That's think this true. is going to last. If you get hired, well, you have to make sure the contract like is just um, always for you so that no matter what, if your voice comes back, they have to keep you on. No, they have to con- continually infect me with some kind of disease. Ooh, I smell a screenplay. all right today we are going to talk about uh two films by one of uh i would say one of america's um uh most interesting filmmakers i'd say that yes uh the man who kind of redefined horror in a lot of ways with the exorcist william friedkin Mm -hmm. uh and the movies we're gonna talk about are two of his um you know lesser known lesser discussed movies one it was a minor hit a few years ago, and that would be the movie Bug. <clears throat> Emily, I'm going to stop you there because you're so broken up right now. It's not even funny. Okay. Um, so William Friedkin. Yeah, William Friedkin. Uh, I don't remember when we loft <laughs> left, left off talking about William Friedkin. It turns out, um, to the listeners at home, uh, when I plug in headphones, my computer mutes, and it takes me a really long time to figure that out. Um, but I think we've resolved that, hopefully. So today, which uh, William Friedkin movies are we talking about? Um, Bug and Jailbreakers. And Jailbreakers. Now, Christine, I know you have been itching all week to talk about Jailbreakers. I haven't been able to stop talking about it, actually. I believe it. Now, before we talk about Jailbreakers, Christine, yes. you can hold on for a few more minutes. I don't know if I can. I'm, I I'm beg you to. literally chopping at the bit. My birthday gift would just be for you to hold on. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll hold on. Okay. What have you been watching? I've had the worst run lately. I don't know what's going Well, I do know what's going on. I'm reading a lot. Um, I've been watching a lot of Portlandia. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is reading. I know. I've been reading a lot. I'm still reading. Um, is, Sweet- Dylan? is he making you read? I knew he was bad news. No, he is, he's a bad influence. I think I mentioned that I'm reading Sweet Tooth. The um, Ian McEwan book. Oh, yes, you did. You did. Which is really, really good. I'm almost done with it. And I've been reading a lot of X-Men comics um, and watching Portlandia. So clearly that's taking up all my time. Um, But I did manage to watch. (laughs) And a lot of this is actually on instant watch. So I watched Red Lights. I don't know if you've heard of this film. It is from 2012. It stars one Killian Murphy. And oh. Sigourney Weaver and I Robert De Niro. This. Okay. This is a fucking infuriating movie. Ooh, really? In a bad way? <sighs> like in a way where it's like, it makes me angry about issues or in a way where it makes me angry about the fact that the movie was made this way? Yes, that one. Okay. That, la- that yeah, last one. Um, it it I can't say that it's got no redeeming qualities because there are interesting things in it, but... Okay. <laughs> The ending is one of those endings. It's a twist ending, and I don't care. Fine, have your twist ending. But it's a twist ending that, like, they beat me over the head with. Like, they showed me footage that, like, of things that already happened. 
Like, hey, look, look, this hey, is... Hey, remember this thing yeah. that happened 20 minutes ago during the film you're watching? We alluded to this, right. and now it's... Pe- like, come on, give me some... I guess they're not giving people credit, maybe for good reason, but I was a little irritated by it. it I very rarely say this, but I really feel like the material was not um, worthy of the actors. Okay. Because um, Toby Jones, is that his name? Oh, I love Toby Jones. He was in a... He was great. Little Toby uh, Jones from Ever After. Yeah, he was great, and um, Kelly Murphy was great, and Elizabeth Olsen was great. Like, everybody was great. She is great. But it was just kind of like, oh, really? This is what you're being great in? But whatever. <laughs> um, Twitter tells me that some people liked it, so. Well. I know. Twitter's now, not now I kinda, it's, Wait, it's called Red Light? Now I kind of have to watch Red it. Lights. I, yeah, it's on Instant. Red Lights. Okay, added. So look at it. I don't know. It was weird. Um and there's, like, the worst, like, Robert De Niro impersonator in it. Holy crap. Wait, is it Robert De Niro playing a Robert De Niro well, impersonator? <laughs> no, Robert De Niro's in it, and he's, like, a character. But they, like, show flashback footage okay. of him young. Oh. And, <laughs> and I'm like, really? That's the guy? But whatever. Nice. Um, I know I have to watch it. <laughs> pardon my constant coughing. I'll try to mute. Um, I then watched After Porn Ends. It's okay. the documentary that's on. Discussing this one. Yeah, I, I liked it. It was. Um, it, I, I actually got teared up during it. Oh. If anybody doesn't know, it's taking a look at um, porn stars, some of which who were still kind of working or have returned to working, but kind of what they did after. Um, I really did enjoy it. I thought it was well done. Um, I watched Fireproof. Fire- yeah. Oh, wait, I have not seen that one. That's the Kirk Cameron. That's the Kirk. Uh, that's his standalone one, right? That's the Kirk Cameron. God is great. Um, well, women, that's, women that's are terrible. to the Kirk Cameron movie. I know it's it was a bizarre. Dylan made watch it. <sighs> was it hilarious? Like, Not I sat through all three of the Left Behind movies. Oh, see, I don't know anything about that. The problem with them is that like they, there's moments in them that are hilarious, but they're also it's three fucking movies, and so it gets really boring. Um, so is fireproof like is it does it drag or is it just oh it, it manages of course it manages to drag it's just it's ridiculous but um it's not hilariously bad like okay i mean okay that's christmas with a capital c which you've seen right <laughs> yeah, seen that's that. hilariously bad right true. this is this is not this is competent it's just i don't I've, I, it was what it was i didn't really enjoy it but Dylan's on this quest to watch all these like, Christian movies. Horror movies are so much fun. Oh my god, I have to lend you then um, the Chuck Norris one, Bells of Innocence. Oh, okay, that sounds good. Yeah, it's written and directed, I think, by his son, starring his son, Mike Norris. Lovely. It's, it's, a, it's wonderful. It's terrible, and yet it's amazing. So I will lend that to you next time I see you. Yes, well, please. Um, I don't know, he's fascinated with it. Um, so he, he was like, you have to watch Fireproof. And I was, I'm, so I, I'm making so many notes to myself as we're talking. Now I'm adding male bells of innocence. Jeez. Yay. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then I watched Jane Eyre, which was a rewatch of the 2011 Michael Fassbender starring oh. girl, girl from Alice in Wonderland, whose name I can't say. And I'm yeah, not even going I like her so much. I she's just so good. I like her I, in the <coughs> lesbian movie. What uh, the? Which wait wait? What was it? Uh, uh, we talk about ki- kids. Kids talk about parents. We need Mike to talk Ruffalo. About parents. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Did I just call him Mike Ruffalo? Oh god. <laughs> no, but I will from now on. 
movie. It was um, um, the kid. Is it the, kid, the kids, kids? Kids are all right. right. Yeah, I still haven't seen that. Uh, that act movie actually infuriated me because it, um, it well, I hated Annette Bening in there. I just thought she was just obnoxious in it. Um, the kids were great in that movie. She, uh, her and the boy who has done other things too were just really, really good young actors. The problem I had with that movie. It was just that it kind of abandons one of the major characters three quarters of the way through the film and just Oof. leaves that person's story unresolved. Yeah, I'm not and a I big have a huge problem with that. Yeah, that's that to me is unless there was a reason they did it. That's kind of even if it was even if it was like oh it's not about this person it's about these other people it didn't excuse the fact that but no but the first half of the movie was about this person so mm-hmm. it really bothered me. But, um, I can I can tell it, it, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this version of Jane Eyre? No, I have not. That's the one by what's her oh. name? Is that the one by the woman who did Fish Tank? Or no? oh, I don't know. No, I... she did Wuthering Heights. I'm getting yeah, all yeah, of yeah, these, yeah. these Austin. I'm tr- I'm really trying uh, to familiarize myself with them because, but sometimes it's hard because sometimes I hate them. I don't hate this one. I think this one's really well done. Have you read a lot of the books or no? I've read Sense and Sensibility. Okay. I haven't read <laughs> I did, any of those. I don't know how and I, I didn't like it. came up in an English class and all the ones No, me neither. I I did it on my own. I um, picked it up on my own and I didn't like it. And but some some adaptations I, of these things I really like and some just leave me wanting. But I really like this Jane Eyre, so I decided to look at it again because I tried to watch Emma. It's not on my list because I didn't finish it. Okay. And, and Emma made me want to kill myself. <laughs> I hated it. Personally, it, it was just so obnoxious, and I, uh, ugh, I don't know. I, I have trouble with like Victorian period pieces. They can really go either way for me. Well, I think part of it, and I was thinking about this when I was reading, because I just read a book that was kind of set around. Uh, yeah, I just read the Painted Veil, which is kind of set around. You know, I think the Painted Veil. I want to say it's set in the twenties. But the thing about it is, most movies or books set in or about that time are all about the upper class. Mm-hmm. And so it's just these upper class people who do nothing all day, but, you know, attend parties and such. And it's really hard to, I think, identify with anything in that. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, even like from what I understand, all of the, the Jane Austen books are kind of about that. And it's why I've just had no desire ever to watch any of that because it, mm-hmm. it's so removed. And it, you understand, like, that was popular at the time. You know, even today you have a similar... You know, people don't really want to watch TV and movies about poor people. They want no, to no. It's still it's well. still the same. It's just more accessible to us because it's in our time yeah. period. But yeah, I just I find it really cold and hard to care about. So I think that's also why I've always been reluctant to uh, engage on that. And the depictions of women. I mean, even yeah. though because it was of the time and it was kind of a woman's place, it was it still like rubs me the wrong way. So, yeah. Yeah. but I recommend this Jane Eyre if you're ever in the okay. in the mood. I, I think it's pretty good. Um, I rewatched Memento. <laughs> Ooh, I haven't. I have not rewatched that. Not in the theater. Yeah, I haven't seen it in like because <clears throat> it's from two thousand, which I thought I didn't realize it was oh that my old. God. Exactly. Oh my I haven't. God. I haven't seen it in like twelve Child. years. Yeah. I know. So I was. I have a big problem with Christopher Nolan. So I was like, let me watch this. I need to suss out my issues. I need okay. to deal with this, and <clears throat> and I really didn't like it. Huh. I, I, I forget what I rated it on Letterboxd, but um, Brian Rupert mm-hmm. commented, what? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 
I, I really think it sounded like that too. It came through in text, right. but monocle just flew out of his. Head. I know he couldn't. He couldn't understand. But I just don't. I don't like it. And some someone on Twitter had said because I said I wasn't a fan that Nolan's films are very narrative driven as opposed to character driven. I would agree with that. And as a, and I agree with that. And I prefer character driven pieces if I was going to pick something. But I don't think that should excuse him from from actually dealing with characters in an intelligent way to be like, oh, I'm narrative driven. Yeah. Okay. That's often a problem I have with, with him and with other similar filmmakers where it's, it's not just style (laughs) over substance. It is, it's kind of story and visuals. And as a result, I think all of his movies are, I I like him as a filmmaker and I've liked most of what I've seen of his stuff. I love the prestige. Um, I still haven't seen. That's what everybody keeps saying. Maybe we'll cover that soon. Uh, that's uh, Prestige. I think is his masterpiece. I know people say it's a Dark Knight, but yeah. I really think Prestige is a near perfect film. But at the same time, it's in really all of his movies. I find it really hard to care about anyone. Prestige is a prime example of that. But I think it works because they're the, the two leads are so interesting that it's mm-hmm. not about me feeling bad for them. It's about me following whatever's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's I think certainly an issue I would have with a lot of his other stuff. Even Inception, I thought Inception was cool looking. I don't know why people were so confused by it because I thought it was actually a very simple story. That's so bizarre because Dylan and I talked about that because I feel like Memento was overly explained in portions. Yes. And then I said, you know, it's kind of like the whole thing that happened with Inception because and and I said people claim that they don't understand that. And he's like, people didn't understand it. But I felt, again, hearkening back to what I said about red lights, I felt like I was getting beaten over the head. But like, I get it. They're in this this level in the dream. And there's another. I get it. I'm not well, fucking but stupid. But that's what's so bizarre to me is like you and me felt that way. And I walked out of that. Like, yes, there is one thing that you're kind of left hanging with with Inception. But the movie is completely clear. <laughs> Look, now they're in a dream. And now they're in another dream. And so on. And the way people were talking about it, it was like it was 2001, where oh, I just don't know what it meant. I don't know whether it was what it was. It was, it was, it was a really straightforward narrative. It's pretty clear. And, yeah. But at the same time, this was also, and the thing that I will always kind of excuse Christopher Nolan for is, as much as I don't think Inception was a ma- the masterpiece that a lot of people made it out to be, the fact that Inception was one of the biggest movies of the year, and it was not a remake, not a sequel not based on a book, that it was this original property and that it turned into such a hit. I just really respect that. And I think it's impressive when that can connect to a wide audience. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of respect him for that, even when I don't love his stuff. But man, I love the prestige. Hmm. I'll have to, I have to watch that now. And I want to rewatch Inception at some point because I had a lot of problems with it after. Like, I said a lot of bold, like, kind of mean-spirited things, which I don't <laughs> usually do because I like to give films the benefit of the doubt. But stuff like lazy storytelling and, like, you know, the whole thing with female characters. But I kind of, I need to figure that, it out. That and has actually been, been an issue I've had with Nolan for <clears throat> all of his films. Um, the exception, I finally had an exception with The Dark Knight Rises, of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, because my biggest issue with the first two Batmans was the Rachel Dawes character. Rachel Dawes sleeps with her boss in both movies and they're two different bosses. And because in the first movie, like there's the hint that she's had a relationship with the other lawyer. And mm-hmm. in the second movie, she's engaged to Harvey Dent. Well, that's all girls are good for. And it, yeah, and it really did infuriate me once when I, cause I had, I don't think I thought about it when I first saw them, but when I rewatched them right before watching the last one, 
I was shocked by that. I just really couldn't get over how, um, just how useless the woman was in the story. And so then when I went to see Dark Knight Rises, um, and I don't want to spoil anything, but you know, about an hour in, I crossed my arms and was pissed fucking off at a certain character and... Wait, there's only, there's only two broads in that. Okay, yeah. Cat, no, okay. cat woman or the other broad? The other, the other broad, Marianne Cotillard. I still have issues with, with the oh, way her character was well, handled. I had, I mean, when she slept with Bruce Wayne, I was going to throw something at the screen. I was just, are you kidding, Nolan? You did it again. Um, not to spoil anything, but for me, that movie was redeemed. Yeah, but see, and I again, I say I call lazy. I say lazy storytelling. I'm I'm terrible. I'll just stop because I have nothing nice to say. And I'll. I know people. I know people really like him and really respect him as a filmmaker. And I don't want to say anything rude because I respect everyone's opinions. Because I know people hate De Palma, and he's one of my favorites. So I'm just I'm gonna leave it. And I will cut you if you you, you exactly. And my whole thing with Dark Knight, which I did like Dark Knight Rises, I liked it a lot more than a lot of people did actually. um, Was that everybody was like, oh my god, spoilers with the way, and I won't say it in which is ironic, but with the way it ended with her character. But that's fucking common knowledge. I didn't think that was a spoiler. Wait, with the Marion Cotillard character? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, a, that's a thing. I thought we all knew that. It was like a big reveal. And I was like, didn't we all know that? See, that's a problem. Like, I don't know. Like, it surprised me. But because I had just read one of the comics that kind of feeds into that story, I was like, oh, I feel great now because I get this. <laughs> See, you were in the know. I felt like, like yeah. the three Batman comics I've read, and he just referenced one of them. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, because I didn't know that going in, and I don't think, I think they kept But I thought I, the movie even smarter. told you that. I thought it was clear in the movie. No, I think you're just a smarter audience member than most of <laughs> I don't know. So I need to watch it again. That's another thing. And the older I get, the more I can't, I feel like I can't speak intelligently after seeing something only once I, th- I think with Nolan I think he is going to be a director who is going to get better the older he gets I hope so because I think stylistically and narratively I think he's pretty much there as a filmmaker I think he can do can stage a scene and can do certain things better than a whole lot of filmmakers what he can't do right now I think which and I really don't think I've ever seen him really do it is connect or make you connect to anyone I mm-hmm. think he's just, he's a cold filmmaker. And I think, you know, as he gets older or as, I don't know, his puppy dies or something in life that kind of maybe changes the way he approaches a story or approaches a film. Um, I, don't know, I, I think once he tells, when he reaches a point where he wants to make a personal film and if he can combine his style tricks with a, like the emotion of it, then I'm there. I agree 100% with you. And I know this isn't Nolan cast, but I have a question. Do you feel like the female characters were handled differently in the third Batman film because of the flack he got from the first two? Or do you think it was a conscious decision? Do you think he wanted to do it? Or do you think he was so aware of the shit he would get if he didn't? Honestly, I don't know that anybody was giving him shit about the. Oh, it, oh yes, never yeah. Heard anybody really? It's all over the internet. It's okay. all over the internet, the especially people hate especially. Games, but that was all. That was an actress thing, not a character. No, especially thing. it's it's. There's a whole. There's I can I can post. I can send you a million articles. It's called fridging. He 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 creates female characters just to further his male characters. Okay. And he does it in Inception too. Oh yeah, completely. Like like numer like. With um, Marion Cotillard is the one in that one too, right? Yes. 
Well, she's she, a wife in that. Yeah, she only exists to, for it, it's it's very frustrating. Because then you take a film, which for some reason I constantly um, reference in the same breath as Inception, uh, as Shutter Island, a film that I really enjoyed that I know a lot of people didn't for whatever reason. I feel like the Michelle Williams character in that, people say she's very similar to the character in Inception, but she's not. She's an actual fleshed right. out, and living, breathing character. based on a novel. Where that uh, I know, I, I know. You know, I know, but still, like, people say, oh, no, but that, that character in Shutter Island was a means to an end, too. It was just a... But it's different. I don't know. I don't know. I'll shut up, because I could talk about this for a million trillion years. <clears throat> yeah, no, but I think... And as you say that, I think of The Prestige, which is completely the same issue. And even more... Um, even more pointed, because it's a, char- it's a character who is, like, literally pushed into another man's arms by one character for his own goal. Where mm-hmm. he says, you need to go to this man now. So yes, completely. That, that is the way Nolan feels about women. Damn him. I know. Now I'm sad. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. But this will make you happy. I, um, I rewatched um, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it yet, actually. It's on Instant Watch. I really like it. It's on instant, and I did that thing where I was exhausted, but I wanted to watch a movie, so I just turned it back on again. I really like it. <coughs> I like most of those movies. I I think two or three. I only saw them. the third one. Which one's the third one? Is the third one with Philip Seymour Hoffman, or is that the second one? The third one is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Okay. I think the second one I was a little meh on, mm-hmm. but I like them all, and I think this one's really good. The second it's, one also has the guy from Ever After, but not Toby Jones, the other one. Who? Doug Ray Scott. Oh, <laughs> I really like him. I think um, I, I, when I was watching this again, I, I remarked, I was like, oh, it's really fun to see like a really expensive looking movie with like lots of recognizable sure. faces and like really beautiful set pieces and action sequences and still have it be like, like well done. Yeah, no, I completely <laughs> need that. I'm not used to that. Sometimes you just want to sit down and watch a big movie. And yeah. when it's an actually good movie, that's, hey, that's crazy. So you should watch it. It's on instant. I, I like might. And that was it. I had a shit weeks, but I may still managed to rasp on for much too long. So <laughs> please go. Just okay, tell me. Well, I, I also haven't watched that many movies because we've been watching a lot of Arrested Development. Ooh, yes. That's um, worth it. Yeah, because, you know, the new season comes out in May and I, I'm like, well, I have to rewatch the whole thing before then. And because Brandon hasn't seen any of it, so it's like, okay, you want to watch it? Let's just start watching it. And it's so fucking good. Absolutely. It, it amazes me how good it is and how smart and how many hidden jokes there are. and So good. And yet that show is benefits so much from watching it just all together yeah. because right. like the little, the, the in-jokes and the re- little in-jokes that, that come they, back. Yeah. yeah, they're so good. Yeah, so really been enjoying that. Um, another thing Brandon never saw the other night he's like oh I'm like you, you know you want to watch something he's like I've never seen The Wicker Man I'm like okay let's watch The Wicker Man <laughs> um, so I rewatched The Wicker Man which Yay. never makes me not happy I love that movie my third favorite film of all time um, another movie I had already seen that I rewatched was Kingdom of the Spiders <gasps> I love Kingdom of the Spiders <laughs> so great um, the, the, I used to was- as a kid Oh my god, all the time. My mother, USA, my USA mother was obsessed. My yep. mother was obsessed. Mm-hmm. And the, oh, the DVD is awesome. It, I heard, it, well, for a while it was out of print. I wonder if it still is. No, because I thought they just put it on DVD a couple of years ago. Or maybe, ago. They, maybe, maybe they did. I don't that know. I tried to find it. 
Um, it has a commentary. It has interviews. It has this great interview with the Spider Wrangler from the original. I thought you were going to say with the spider. With the, oh, God. I wish it did. That would be so great. I hope the spider was subtitled. It would be so cute. Um, no, but it's this, like, guy, like, just taking a spider out of a jar and being like, so these ones we use for close-ups as the spider, like, stands on his back legs and does this awful, scary thing. He has one spider that's, like, bigger than my head. Oh, God. Um, but the movie is just, if you haven't seen it, it is so much fun. Um, Ooh, there's a there's a special edition DVD that's yes, like that's what, what you want. That is the one you want. Like it's like tw- maybe it, you know what? When I probably looked for it a while back, it was fifth. This probably hadn't been released yet. Maybe. Yeah, this that's released in 2010. It. That makes sense. I, re- I remember getting it from like Kim's video and seeing it like new, so I was excited. Mm-hmm. Um, it's William Shatner at his most like William handsome. Shatner. Oh, well, because the best the best thing about this there are so many great things about this movie. But one of them is that William Shatner is just, there is no man that comes near William Shatner in this movie. Uh, William Shatner, every woman in this movie is in love with William Shatner. Obviously. Oh, yes. would they be? Um, but he gets great lines like, you're kind of pretty for a girl. <laughs> he introduces like the woman scientist with, you know, a tip of his cowboy hat. Uh, it's, it's, it's just very true to life. Very much, very much. And, and the spider stuff is is done really well. If I think so too. Yeah, yes. if you're af- if you're mildly afraid of spiders, which which I am. Like if there's a spider in front of me, I can handle it. But if there's a tarantula in front of me, I'm going to be a little more nervous. <laughs> um, and I mean, this movie has tarantulas crawling on people's faces. It is unsettling. Uh, but at the same time, like it's goofy and it just you know it has the one of the best death scenes where the guy's flying the crop dusting plane, and he just screams like a girl for ten minutes, and it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> So I, yeah, heartily recommend King of the Spiders if you haven't watched it. Uh, I watched, I, and the reason I watched King of the Spiders was because I am preparing for a short month over at my blog. So spiders are short, so they'll be covered in there. I'll be, I'll be writing about that one. Uh, and I watched Along the Same Lines, a movie from 1986, Link. What is that? Link is the Elizabeth Shue, Terrence Stamp, <laughs> orangutan movie. You love Terrence Stamp? I do. Uh, and I started to wonder, because I also love Michael <laughs> Shannon. And yes. I'm wondering, maybe it's just a General Zod thing. Maybe I think, it, I think it might be. To love any man who plays General Zod. I don't know. Uh, but Terrence Stamp in this one is very Malcolm McDowell-ish, actually. He plays a scientist who is, um, d- like, kind of does, not experiments, but, I mean, he does experiments on animals, but it's not, like, cruelty and animal kind of thing. But basically, he has, like, a couple of orangutans or chimpanzees. It's very confusing. The movie keeps calling them chimpanzees, but they're orangutans, so I don't know. But it has a, the, main ca- the titular character, Link, is an orangutan butler, and he wears a suit. Okay. So obviously, I'm there for this movie. Uh, but it actually wasn't that good. It was kind of boring. Um, Elizabeth Shue is there, like, helping to cook and clean. And then um, Terrence Stamp goes missing, and Link turns kind of murderous. But we- it's a weird movie. At one point, Elizabeth Shue is taking a shower, and Link is staring at her, and it's very strange. Uh, hmm. It has a very busy 80s electric score kind of sounds it like if you've seen obviously you've seen labyrinth it's like the same style <laughs> obviously obviously um so link was weird and it was kind of boring but it was interesting for the fact that it was elizabeth shoe and an orangutan butler watching her take a shower with exactly yeah i mean that's weird that is kind of weird um i watched <laughs> the incredible hulk okay what is it oh, okay wait so, uh, that's not the first time you've seen that no, right this actually is the first time i've seen that Oh, really? Yeah, we've talked about this. I haven't seen The Avengers yet because I I have not seen all of the other movies yet. And I agree that you need to see them all. Yeah, and I... But you don't really need to see The Hulk. 
Because, it, I mean, I guess you do, but it doesn't really play into the canon because they, they would kind of have to explain where, where Edward Norton went. <laughs> well, Edward Norton went to get angry at the producer. Yeah. Um, right, so I have, I have two more movies left after this before I see... Uh, so wait, Captain America and Captain Thor? America and... No, I saw... Iron, Iron Man 2? Iron Man 2? Iron Man 2, yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just got so excited. Incredible Hulk. I was really surprised because now it should be said, and it's funny because I think... They just talked about this on Silver and Gold. Are you going to talk about the Ang Lee Hulk now? I cannot now? talk about how <laughs> the Ang Lee Hulk is one of the worst movies ever put in a theater of all time. I don't, I don't like that movie. I have never been so angry. I went to see that movie because it was summertime. And my, I think I was home from college, and my parents were like, hey, we're going to the movies, you want to come? And I'm like, you know, it's so hot that, sure, I'll go sit in air conditioning for two hours. What are you guys seeing? We're seeing Hulk. Okay, sure. And I just sat there after about an hour. I was ready to just go out, wear a winter coat, and stand underneath the sun, because I was in pain watching this movie. <coughs> One of the few movies me and my father agree on, because we were both just angry at it. The, I thought CGI looked terrible. I understand and respect the idea of doing a really serious superhero movie, but I expect it to not be boring if you're going to do that. And I just think Hulk is, a, is an awful, awful movie. I'm sorry, Zom, but it is. Now, Incredible Hulk... Um, Sat down to watch it because Brandon's a big fan of it. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't know because I didn't like the other one. And I ended up, there were two things that I really didn't like about it. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I would say it was probably my favorite of the Marvel movies that I've seen so far. Whoa, bold yeah. But again, I, I was kind of lukewarm to Iron Man because I saw it post-hype. And Dude, I Iron Man's so fucking good, though. I know, I wasn't really... I, honestly, when I watched Iron Man, I wasn't paying that much attention to it. What? That's know. so good. I was like, that oh, movie's so now. great. Okay. Even the second one, the fr- when I first saw the second one, I was like, ugh, well, they ruined it. Mm. But even upon rewatch, the second one's not as bad. I don't like the character of the Hulk. I know that's going to get a lot of shit, but I really just never, yeah, I just never really liked that character. Have you read the comics or the TV show? I've I've never read a Hulk comic, but I've read numerous ones that he's in, whether it be Avengers comics or just crossovers and stuff. And I know people will tell me, oh, read this book, oh, read this series, read this. Um, But I just never, there's something, I guess there's just something about that character that doesn't speak to me, so I don't really, yeah, but... I don't know. I was, I was, I was a little, I was meh with that, with mm-hmm. this, this Hulk. And then I do, but I do think um, Mark Ruffalo does a really great, great job with him in the Avengers. And I wish that, that, that film could have been Mark Ruffalo's film, not Edward Norton's. See, I like Norton. I didn't have a problem with him. Oh yeah, he's good. But yeah. if you see, if you see Mark Ruffalo's Hulk, he adds something to it that makes it more appealing to me. Yeah. With this one, um, I really liked, I mean, the opening, like, half hour is great when he's in Brazil. It, oh, yeah. It's a filmmaker clearly, um, like, I don't know, the, the things that weren't Hulk to me were so much more interesting in the film. Like, yeah, I'll, the I'll always feel that way, too. Yeah. Well, that, and that was my other huge issue with the movie was I just, and this was obviously my issue with the first Hulk, but even, not even more so in this one, but just as much in this one, was I'm really involved in it. I'm, I'm liking Norton. I'm buying the relationships. I'm there with it. And then when he turns into Hulk, I am bored because I am watching a video game. Mm-hmm. And I know that is kind of the nature of superhero films, but I'm, and the only one, it, it didn't bother me in Thor because I think Thor was, because it was also set in a mystical land, it kind of felt like the whole thing was fantasy. I really do agree that, that the first time I saw Thor, I thought I hated the toggling between like Asgard and, and Earth. I hated it. But then upon rewatch, I was like, okay, 
it kind of helps ground it, but yet also yeah. allows it to be fantastical in a way that we're accepting of. Right, because the problem with The Incredible Hulk that I had was all of the human stuff was so good. And, I, you know, and unlike the other one where the, where the human stuff was boring, but the human stuff was so good. And then when he turns into Hulk, it just, I'm completely removed from the film because it just, the, however, with, with the second, there's essentially three big battles in it. Mm-hmm. The first one I was kind of fine with because you don't really see much of the Hulk. Um... Because it almost felt very horror movie-like, and I, and I like that. The second battle, which goes on for, like, 15 minutes, and it's in broad daylight, I can't tell... He, it's, I'm watching a cartoon. I have no idea who, like... The sense of... of um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? And because this is another issue I've had with a lot of superhero movies. The whole, are people dying? I don't know, because the Hulk smashes something, and I don't know <laughs> if I'm seeing a CGI body, like, get mangled, or just a person fall down, like... Mm-hmm. The movie has no way of caring about all of the people there's, who are fighting Hulk. There's no weight to there, so the battles, no yeah. At one point, somebody, like, a character, like, kind of dies, and it's this thing. But I'm like, wait, but didn't he also kill, like, 30 people, or did that not happen? I don't know, because the movie doesn't show you. And so that's an issue I've always had with superheroes. It, oh, you really need to see the Avengers, then. I, I will, I will. Um, it's, I, it's handled really, really well. Um, but, yeah, so that was a huge <laughs> issue I had with it. Uh, but then, oddly enough, the last battle, when he's fighting another monster, because the other monster was so so much less human... Oh, who's the other monster? Tim Roth. <laughs> Tim Roth. I just wanted you to say it. <laughs> um, who I really... Has a weird body. He has, like... I don't know if he, he does. Like he has a really big head and little... Sh- he, has, he has a Pat Sajak thing of big head, little shoulders. But, like, he's, he's shirtless for a lot of the movie, and he looks really weird. Um, but the... That monster fight was okay for me because it just felt like two monsters fighting. Whereas the other stuff, it's like they're still trying to make Hulk look human, but it's not. It's a CGI creation, and I know that. So it's this this kind of issue I have with all of these kinds of movies. But that aside, I liked Hulk. The Incredible Hulk. I'm glad. Yeah, uh, two more I'll go through quickly. One was Money Pit from 1980-something, starring Outrageous Fortune Shelley Long. Did you put that you saw watch this on Facebook because I knew that you would watch this? I think I had because okay. I think um, Joe commented something about that that kind of era of comedy and Money Pit, and then I'm like, I just watch Money Pit. Oh uh, yes, I, like I did it. see it. I yeah. had problems with it. Um, again, just script stuff that seemed like the Tom Hanks's character. <laughs> like, there's a joke that's set up before the credits. Uh, not really a joke, but a character thing where you meet Tom Hanks's dad in the movie. And the entire movie, they save that for the coda, and which was just a really weird choice, I thought. And some of the, um, uh, just some of the, I guess just the writing, just that Tom Hanks' career just seemed like it should have been funnier the entire movie when it wasn't. <laughs> but Tom Hanks and Shelley Long were great. There's a great performance from the Russian dancer from Die Hard, whose name I can't say because it's really Russian. Uh, he was fun. So overall, I liked it. And uh, last movie I watched... Uh, this was as per James, one of our listeners, James's recommendation, months ago recommended this to me. It was on Instant Watch. And one of the best ways to make me watch a movie on Instant Watch is for Instant Watch to take the movie off of Instant Watch. <laughs> and there was a whole bunch of movies that were going off of Instant Watch today. So I made a point of watching Blood Surf. What is that? Do, do, well, first of all, do you know what blood surfing is? It's like a thing. I don't know, then you surf on blood? Well, no, but, like, first you throw, uh, like, chum to sharks, and then you surf in shark-infested water, yo. 
Is that really a thing? In the movie it was. I don't know if it's a real oh, thing. Oh, I don't know. So it's like a bunch of this film crew goes to some island and they never say where they are. And they're blood surfing. But then there's a giant <laughs> crocodile that comes to eat people. It's, what's hilarious about this movie is they actually do the monster stuff kind of good for, for a while. They, they tease you with the monster really effectively. Like, you know that when you see it, it's going to be terrible, but they don't show it to you for a really long time. And it's kind of disciplined. But at the same time, also going on is just hilariously awful dialogue and everybody's saying dude. And all the girls only have shirts that just come under their boobs. Um, That's what you wear when you go blood surfing. I just Googled it. At one point, I'm going to give you the best line of the movie, which is uh, at one point, they think that they have killed the crocodile. So one of the characters, the slutty character, although all the women in it are pretty slutty. um, what What do you do when you kill a character? Who, I'm sorry, when you kill a crocodile who has just killed your lover, what do you do? I do don't you? know. I high-five somebody. Uh, they do that, but after you <laughs> high-five it, you rip your shirt open and flash the dead crocodile, and then, you know, if you, now, which that's what you do. I would do that. And yeah, if you're clever seems about it, you then say, now that's what I call croc-teasing. Oh my god. <laughs> somebody, somebody thought of that line, and they were like, how, how can we use how can this? We, how can we use this? We have to figure out a way to put this in the script. <laughs> I think they might have built the script around it. But the best, like, the surfer... Because the, the weirdest thing is, I feel like this movie had no idea if it was going to be playing it funny or scary or what. So it tries to be serious. And then when they have, like, the, the like a big death scene of a character you actually like, they play this like dark music but then the music is kind of goofy and they slow-mo something and then the characters are really sad about it but then it's back to being boom 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 it's the movie <laughs> could not decide how its audience was going to take it oh god it was great by my so, so that's a recommend that's for a recommend for blood surf no longer an instant watch but uh put it on your queue because it will probably go back on there um so on, on that note <laughs> shall we take a break Sure. And now we're going to come back. And Christine, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about um, jailbreakers. Are you, are you okay? Are you excited? Do you need work? Because I mean... Uh, I, yeah, I think... I think I need to just compose myself and get just get myself together so I can come back and tackle this professionally. Sounds good. We'll be right back. Cinema's been around for over 100 years. Its history is long and varied. Each film has a story to tell, and the 15-Minute Movie Podcast covers the history of cinema through the actors, writers, directors, producers, and themes. Each episode, you'll find out about the history of movies in just 15 minutes. Go to 15mmp.com or check it out on Stitcher, iTunes, or Miro. Now, Christine. Yes, Emily? I know that this has become your instant favorite movie of all time. Yes, Skyrocketed to the number one spot. But I would like you to also be a little objective in terms uh-huh. of the plot. Of- <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> no, okay. So, Jailbreakers is about um, this this girl, Shannon Doherty, who <clears throat> she is like a high school student. <clears throat> And she, like, falls in with um, this, like, hot biker dude who's Antonio Sabato Jr. And, like, she kind of likes his crimey ways and, like, but she pretends she doesn't. And then her family moves and 
he goes to jail <laughs> and then he kidnaps her. And I think that's what happens. Pretty much. Now this is, now we found jailbreakers <laughs> on Instant Watch. This was a weird discovery we made. And I don't remember how we made it exactly. I think you started typing in the wrong name of something and it came up. I totally was. And this, it was a sign. We were supposed to watch this movie. Now, Jailbreakers apparently was from a uh, late 90s series for Showtime. Mm-hmm. And it was called, I think, Rebel Highway was the series. And it was supposed to be all of these um, sort of like road movies from the 60s, kind of drive-in movies only made by like good filmmakers on the cheap. I think they had like a week to make it or something like that. And they, you know, they had, I think Joe Dante made one, Mary Lambert made one. So they had a random assortment of, of filmmakers. Robert Rodriguez, I think made one. Uh, and they got Will Friedkin to make this one. Now the script is co-written by Deborah Hill. Mm-hmm. Of course, everybody knows Deborah Hill uh, of uh, Halloween and such fame. This movie is really funny. It is really funny. Uh, it took me a while to figure out, because it, it starts with, um, so the character, so Shannon Doherty, her name is Angel. Mm-hmm. And Very start, appropriate. Course, Very appropriate. Not ironic at all. And we start on uh, this kind of gang of, like, leather jacket wearing badasses, uh, led, of course, by Antonio Savato Jr. But yes. Who else is in that, that gang? Okay, so who else is in that gang is Adrian Brody. Um, but like, you know, like really good Adrian Brody, when I still love him, like mid nineties, Adrian Brody, when he's still adorable and and seems to be like enjoying acting, which unfortunately, like, was this one of his first things? Um, no, I mean, kind of, but not really. (laughs) I mean, he'd already been in, he'd already been in King of the Hill, a film that I saw a long time ago. Okay. That that um he he really he I feel like that was like his first thing. But I mean this is pretty far up. It's before like solo and um in in Ted Benny and yeah. stuff like this that. This movie is nineteen ninety four, right? Oh my god, nineteen ninety four. Um Adria Brody, so nineteen ninety four. King of the Hill, Boy Who Cried Bitch. Boy I've never Boy. seen that. Okay, so this I mean oh he was in Angels in the Outfield? What? Um, was he? Yes, he played Danny Hemmerling. Oh, I yeah, 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 yeah. I think I did know that. Okay, so this, um, was still, this was early enough in his career. That let's be said that Adrian Brody has almost 50 credits of things that have been released, and I've seen at least 30 of them. Um, <laughs> so yes, this is, this is, um, really, this is seminal Brody, folks. Obviously. Seminal. So now, um, I'm trying to remember at what point in the movie I figured out for sure. <gasps> Are you going to say? Oh my god, me too. I thought it was just me. Oh, I was like 10, 15 minutes in and I went, what, this is a period piece? Um, maybe when they started talking about Marlon Brando? No, I don't know. I don't know. Marlon Brando impression? I think that it was, I think I was after that part because, do you recall when they're on the, when Sabato Jr. and Brody are on the street talking about stealing like a truck? Okay. Yeah. I still didn't realize at that point. No, I did either. <laughs> because they're like, like 
old cars, like classic cars. And I was like, it's so weird that there's so many classic cars on that street. Well, because, and the reason is, you have to understand, nobody talks like it's actually the 50s in this movie. Adrian Brody tries, and I think he's honestly the only one in the movie who tries. This is when he still seemed like he liked to act. Like, I mean, one of my favorite early exchanges in the movie is when Tony meets Angel. And, you know, she wanders over after cheerleading practice to talk to Tony. And Tony says to her... The way he introduces himself is very particular. He says, my name is Tony. (laughs) What 50s greaser would say, my name is... No, they're like, my name's Tony. I think most normal people would say that. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I really don't know at what point I put together that they were in the 50s. No, it really took me a while, too. And I was was embarrassed. I was like, am I paying that little attention to this? But I was was watching it. I mean... The other just, thing that I'm sure took everybody uh, a half hour to figure out until a character says it is that Shannon Doherty plays a 15-year-old in this movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. My sweet 16's coming up. What? I, you promised we'd wait until I was 16. What? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Really? The crazy thing, though. What was really crazy about this? Now, Shannon Doherty must have made this right after she left 90210 because this is 94. Um, she left after uh, freshman year of college, which was around then. So this was probably, like, one of her first things. But at first I'm thinking like, oh God, Shannon Doherty's like 35 playing a 15 year old. And I looked and she was only like 23, 24 in this movie. Mm, she looks older than she that. She looks so much older. And then the other thing is they don't even really try to make her dress like she's in the 50s. No. And if this, this segues nicely into the point I wanted to make. If you look at the, um, the picture that's up on IMDb, like, she looks like she's wearing, like, a 90s outfit. Oh, yeah. It's, like, a little black strappy yeah, thing with her boobs the, all out. the scene, she does. Like, yeah. at one point in the movie, does she wear, like, a scarf around her neck where you're like, okay. But her hair also, her hair is straight from that season of 92 and Yeah, they didn't do anything to it. And it, I'm sorry, no girl wore her hair like that in the 60s. We saw Peggy Sue got married. We know these things. I know. Oh, man. So that was hilarious. Um, that, so basically, they start dating. And he's the bad boy. Her parents are kind of nice about it. Like, they're not really like, you can't see him anymore. Um, until one night, uh, he picks up Shannon Doherty. And they kind of, they start driving. And he's, and he's like, I need cigarettes. So they go to a diner. And he walks in like an asshole. Yeah, he's, like, he's, he's a pretty big brothers. asshole. And the diner owner is like, I'm closing up. But okay, fine. Nice, nice guy, right? And then... So Tony proceeds to rob him, and now he doesn't pull a gun or anything. He just, like, grabs the guy by the collar. He's like, give me what's in the register. And the guy does. Um, Then they start driving, and they, you know, they break the window of a jewelry store, and Shannon Doherty wants one necklace, so he gives it to her. And then what happens? Do you remember? Oh, my God, I don't want to talk about it. so great. So they're driving. Suddenly Shannon Doherty is driving, and you're like, well, that's weird. Where's that's Tony? exactly what I thought. And you hear him lift his and he lifts his head up, and she's like, "Get back to work," because he okay. lifts her head while she's driving. Yeah, but the thing is, she's wearing like pants. I forgot she was wearing pants. You're right. She's wearing pants, and then they get pulled over by the cops, Which and without missing a beat or how you can do that without missing a beat or cutting away, she's moving over to the passenger seat, and her pants are completely like all the way up. Yeah. All undone. And tight pants. It's the 60s. They're like all tight. They're like and, white, like little white pants. Yeah, it's meanwhile, ridiculous. it's like she's 15 and you kind of get the feeling they haven't done anything yet but make out. So it's kind of like 
We it's a big that The first time you're going to do anything like really sexy, it's going to be when you're driving. But it's, I think, and this is where I, I find like this, this had a lot of potential that it didn't really fulfill, but like, I guess it was, we were supposed to believe that she like is a, is really a bad girl at heart. Right. Like, that all of the things that happen are kind of her fault. Like she's the one that, that, you know, gets oh, him. She, and really she is. Stuff. She is, but I feel like they, it, that like gets pushed aside over and over again. And it makes it just for a confusing, and like, right, well, this whole, character's motivation yeah, kind of thing. the whole last act is essentially now suddenly she's the victim. <laughs> yeah. Save for the coda, which does something different. And the biggest, because it was weird watching this movie. At first I was like, this is just hilarious. It's terrible. And then I reached a point where I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe everybody's getting, maybe everybody gets the joke except for Antonio Sabato Jr. and Shannon Doherty. Like, maybe like free like it's written to be so cheesy and everybody's idea of what a rebel was in the 50s and maybe like that is the point of it is that this is kind of silly but that it's just kind of fun and trashy but then two problems with that one is it's never really trashy enough no because i mean yeah it never goes far yeah, enough save to for that one moment of like implied oral sex there's no nudity in this movie there's no, no. real violence there's no or there's very little violence i should say there's no, I don't even know if they ever say, like, anything worse than bitch. Um, so it's, like, it's weirdly tame. But then the other thing is just that Shannon, Dar- more so her, Antonio Sabato Jr., I feel like you were supposed to, kind of the Starship Troopers casting, where you cast somebody who's going to play it earnestly, but not be good at it, because that's kind of the joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but Shannon Doherty is just so miscast here. Because you don't buy her as being innocent. You don't buy her as really being seductive because... No, not at all. Not. I'm sure there are people out there who find her attractive and sexy. Well, she... I mean, she's attractive. She's not... She's an attractive yeah. woman, but she's not, like, you know... It's the, really hard to believe somebody would kill for her in this movie. No, not at all. She was, she's like a wet blanket. Exactly. And... But she... And so she plays it like Brenda Walsh, completely. She plays it... I mean, completely anachronistically, she well, sounds like a 90s teenager. Let me pause you and say that she plays it exactly like her character on Charmed as well. So yeah. we can just say that she cannot act. It's possible. Because yeah. she, she was, what was her what was her character's name on Charmed? Um, Piper, Phoebe, yeah, Pro. She was Pro. So she, I was like, wow, it's basically like she's Pro. I never watched 90210, so that's all I have to go on. And I liked Pro. I think that was great casting because that yeah. she was just she just showed up on set and was herself. So clearly, it didn't work in this she's movie. She's a very TV actress, um, and I mean, she was a child actress, and I think that often happens with those kind of actors because they they never really learn the fundamentals of acting like they mm-hmm. don't really study the books they don't take classes they just they grow up with the charisma that got them there in the first place and te- they tend to hold on to it and you know they're a- appealing or relatable or they you know there's something about them where and you see it with a, a lot of actors who are kind of always TV actors and not movie actors. It's not that they're bad actors. It's just there's something about them that's really, I think, comforting or relatable. Like Jason Bateman's a great example of one. Jason Bateman has done a lot of TV shows mm-hmm. and he's always been really good on them. He's done a few movies and he's fine in them, but there's something about him on, you know, on a weekly basis that you automatically are going to get behind that character. And I think with Shannon Doherty, it's 
similar just in that I think, yeah, her range is so limited that you make her, you know, put her on a show for five years and I will believe her in that character and I will only associate her with that character, but you try to stretch it and I don't think you're going to get much. Yeah. As we see here. Yeah. So yeah, I, I wonder if they had, um, and I can't think of any actress that would have been better in this role, but, or worse, like if they had Denise Richards in this role, for instance. Oh, I would have liked her more. Who would have been probably a worse actress but would have kind of fit so many other parts of it and at the same time maybe made that role make more sense. Like, I think this movie would have been more fun where you could watch it and be like, I get it. They were playing a joke on us and it's kind of funny and it works. But well, because you have these or this earnestness in it, it just flops. Because I didn't understand her character at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was a good girl, but she kind of wasn't. And then the thing with... um with uh, get the police getting pulled over by the police and stealing the necklace happens. And I'm like, okay, so she's really a bad girl. And then he goes to prison instead of her. I'm like, oh, so she's manipulative bad girl. Right. And then they move and she's talking to her new best friend in the new town saying like, like she, she's, she really likes bad guys. And I'm like, oh, so she still is a bad girl. But then she's super upset that she gets kicked out of the play because she <laughs> wasn't play, showing up. Romeo doing? and Juliet. Of course. <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, so she's not. So then, and then she gets kidnapped and she seems like legit upset. And I was like, so she's not a bad girl. But then at the end, mm-hmm. if you want to talk about the very end or if you want <laughs> she's like <clears throat> to Adrian Brody, she's like, oh, thanks for saving me. I'll wait for you when you get out of prison. What? Jailbreakers what? too. What the fuck? Like, so, so she is like a manipulative bad girl, but I never, it it was just so like muddled. Part of it is that it's genetic. Why is it genetic? Did you not catch that amazing scene with Adrian Barbeau? Oh, well, I know that Adrian Barbeau is amazing. Adrian Barbeau plays her mother and doesn't really get much to do except for the greatest scene in the movie, which is after she's on the run, after Angel is on the run. Um, Adrian Marbeau is so worried and says to the, her husband, it's all my fault. I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's cause it, you know, it's cause of me. And he's like, no, honey, it's not your fault. And she's like, no, that could have been me if it wasn't for you. And like, they kind of have this dialogue about how she used to be a bad girl when she was, oh, but I didn't, she got married. I just picked up on that as like subjugating women. Oh, possibly. <laughs> I didn't. I love the fact that, like, also, like, her mother was a bad girl. Oh yeah, so she can relate. The idea of it was that, like, you know, not that she was a natural bad girl, but that she wanted to be bad, and she didn't think she did because she was raised to be good. But as soon as she got a taste of it, she because then there's the new boyfriend, <laughs> who is also like 35 years old. What a lame one that oh, kid was. was great. So he's like, you know, they have a, a family barbecue, and Chad and Darty goes in the kitchen. And starts, like, trying to make out with him. And he's like, whoa, no, we're in your parents' house. He's like, I don't know. You've been acting so strange, talking about being bad and, and trying to make out in your parents' kitchen. <laughs> so you realize, like, no, she just, she likes being bad. She likes that she's had a taste of it and now, you know. But then what she doesn't realize is she doesn't want to be that bad. Because after Adrian Brody helps her boyfriend escape from prison in the easiest way possible. It was pretty good, though. Apparently it's really easy to escape from prison. Well, if you have a motorcycle. You have a yeah. motorcycle and a friend. They just need to motorcycle into, like, where you're on the chain gang. Yeah. Motorcycle in. Right away, you're good. Good. No one looks for you. They don't, really, they don't really shoot very well. Even though they had, like, the nicest prison guard ever. 
I know. Like, it seemed like a pretty sweet yeah, gig. No mail for you. You know, you should move on. You're better than that girl. I'm like, why would you want to leave here? Everybody's so nice. I know. It was, seemed like a pretty sweet setup. Um, it was sort of like My Blue Heaven when he's in prison and everybody's like knitting him pillows. And- <gasps> Ugh, I love My Blue Heaven. Me too. <laughs> um, side note. Not just because it has Rick Moranis. Um, so they, so then he, um, he doesn't kidnap Angel at first, remember. He goes to see her and she just runs out with him. Oh, yeah. She's totally into it. Again, why I get confused. This is why I get confused because she's into it. And then all of a sudden she's like, I'm not anymore. Like, what the hell? I don't understand your character. And when you say all of a sudden, you literally mean they're, <laughs> they're driving. And, she's and like, then she's oh, like, I can't do so good. Oh, my parents are going to be mad. We should turn around. It was. It's ridiculous. Um, but what do they think of? My other favorite scene in the movie. Um, Them in the bathtub? They, so they have to hide out because they're on the run now. In a bathtub. In prison and her parents are looking for her. She's a minor because she's 16. Um, so they find this abandoned warehouse with all of this like, or apparently it's like his old warehouse and he also makes welding art. I don't know. That was brushed I, That was right. really random. But in the middle of this warehouse is a bathtub. And they're just in there taking a bath, being all sexy. It's great. No, I think I think you're making this movie sound way better than it is. I, I thought I don't know. I watched it uh, on my iPhone on the way to work, and then on my way home from work. And I tell you, watching it on the way to work put me in a good mood. And then knowing that when my job ended, I was going to get back on a bus and I was going to get to see how Jailbreakers ended was a really good day for me. This is how <sighs> every Monday should start. Anyway. <laughs> I can't. I can't say the same. I'm sorry. Ugh. You've got it. The, par- the parents decide they're going to help look for her. So they hop in a car. They're just tagging along behind the police the whole time. And at one point, like, when there's a big shootout at the end um, where all the police are there with guns and the dad comes out of his car with a shotgun. I know. That was pretty funny. Uh, let's see. A wonderful slow-mo 15-foot jump. Oh, God. I really that- thought they were jumping into water. It's so weird. Like, no, we're going to jump. And you're thinking like, okay, they're going to jump into water, forgetting that they're at the Mexican border and they're not. Yeah, no, there's no water there. They just jump 15 feet onto hard dirt and somehow don't break all of their limbs. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, we forgot in the bathtub scene, there's also candles everywhere. It makes no sense. No, it doesn't. And it seems like a huge fire hazard. Oh, because the welding art might catch on fire. uh, No, I guess welding art is probably pretty uh, not flammable. Not flammable, not flammable. I don't, I don't think it's flammable. No, it's not flammable. Um, I have a few more notes on this. How do you have so many notes on this? Because <laughs> it was, cause did we watch the same movie? The what second it ended, I, I forgot about it. It ended and I was like, <laughs> all right, that's done. I never have to think about that again. Little did I know. Little no. did you ever know. Uh, so... I thought another, my third favorite scene. Of oh my God. Was this kind of quick montage of how Angel has brought shame to her family. Because when they're still living in their original town, we see her get kicked out of Romeo and Juliet. And as she's talking to her mother, she has a great line, which is, it's like I have a social disease, which is so West Side Story. Because like, <laughs> we're down on our knees because no one likes a fellow with a social disease. So that, Maybe that was like a callback. Well, not really a callback, but like a, oh, like a nod. A shout out. Yeah. Um, that we had. Uh, so then you have them go to the country club. And they're not really, you know, nobody wants them at the country club. Oh, yeah. I like that Mom scene. tries to say. And I have the subtitles on. So I watched it on Netflix on my phone. I put the subtitles on. And it says in loud, in block letters, somber music. 
<laughs> we have uh, the mom is trying to say hello to her friends and they just don't even look at her. They can't. My favorite part about this is that a scene before that, um, Chen and Darty is talking to Tony about like her life and her, she's like, you know, I mean, I just, uh, I look around and all these people are like carbon copies of each other. They're all so suburban. And I mean, my dad, he's a good guy, but I can't imagine spending your life being a traveling salesman. So then later at the country club, the dad goes like, oh, I see my co, I need to go talk to someone there. He walks over and he's talking about an account and how he's losing this account. Yeah. I'm really confused because if you're a traveling salesman, I don't think you have local accounts. Does yeah, I didn't, I really salesman? didn't understand what he was doing. I was so confused at that point. Um, let us see. And then we just, I just had a lot of lines that I thought you would really enjoy that Marlon Brand, that uh, uh, Adrian Brody said. Like, uh, when Tony spots Angel and is like, ooh, Angel, uh, Brody says, yo, Tony, it ain't cherry picking season. Yeah, I didn't understand that then and I don't understand it now. Or, you can't fuck a fish. Oh, no, that was that was in context. That made sense. <laughs> but I just like that he said it. He did say yeah. he did say cute. I was going to say I'm, I'm smitten. I can't help it. Um, and then that one of the other uh, guys in the gang was played by. I don't know. the Sean Whalen. His name's Sean, Sean Whalen. Whalen. OK, um, from uh, the everything. I always call him Alan Buff. Because I will always think of him. Oh, from, from the Aaron, Aaron Burr commercial. He's yeah. also, he also has no tongue in People Under the Stairs. Right. He's, and he what's is. the character's name in that? Is it Bug? Yeah, I think okay. maybe you're right. I don't know, though. Um, and he's also in Late to Rest, one of my favorite films of all time. And I'm not saying that ironically. <laughs> I love Late to Rest. I mean, Jailbreakers is one of my favorite films of all time, and I'm not saying it ironically. I think you might be. I might be. <laughs> but I'm not going to not watch it again. I swear. Oh, my God. And now, we were asked about this. Is Did this make us want to watch other movies from this series? No. I do. <laughs> no. I lost them on Instant Watch. I, I mean, they're 76 minutes long. Like, they're Ugh. really quick watches. I am totally going to watch more. I hope you do. And report back. Maybe I will. I, I, I dare you to. I will then. Okay. Um, yeah, this, I mean, it's a ridiculous movie. I think that it was kind of approached with the attitude of we're going to make a kind of campy 50s man on the run rebel movie. But, and I don't know where all, where the real issues came up, if it was when Doherty got cast or if it was that they didn't, they decided not to go as far as they should have with the kind of campiness of it. I don't know. It's such a mess, and it's it is very strange that this is a William Friedkin film. It is, and I didn't I didn't feel any like directorial flourishes or anything. I was just I was like, oh, yeah. Right. Anybody could have made this movie. Um, but again, it, I feel like it it maybe it was also, and I forget the constraints of the series if it was, but I know it was kind of like Masters of Horror, where they had a very limited amount of time and limited budget to make the movie. And on one hand, yeah, that shows and it's, you know, you always kind of, you know, I give a pass to certain things regarding a movie if it's a budget issue. But it just feels like the spirit, there's, there's a kernel of a really fun, goofy spirit in there. But the movie doesn't actually know how to translate it. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a failure. But <laughs> I, I agree with you. It is a failure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I know this is really off topic, but how do you feel about the Masters of Horror? I really like the idea of it. 
<laughs> I think um, I think that some of the episodes are really good. I Do you, you feel like you definitely feel like there are standouts and there are standouts failures, I think the right? John Carpenter yeah. ones I think are great. Because the other day I heard somebody say, or I read somebody that said they they completely just it sucked. It's it's awful. It was terrible. It is not. And, I mean, and I I, I don't think you can. I don't think yeah. you can lay down a, a blanket statement yeah, like you, that. I think you and me are both people so that, much. Yeah, don't like to ever say that about something. Mm-hmm. Make blanket statements like that. And I think sure, there's a there's some that are certainly worse than others. There's some that are boring, which is the worst you can possibly do. Um, I think there are a couple of real gems in there. I really like the first, the Don Coscarelli one, the mm-hmm. um, yes. on and off the mountain. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what the show should have been. It should have been a really tight, you know, short story on on film. That's that was the idea of it. Because it's it's been proven that that can be done. Right. You know, like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and absolutely. Outer Limits and Night Gallery and Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Yeah. We know that it's you, possible. You can do a horror anthology. <laughs> I mean, and even I mean horror anthologies. Just as I said that. An anthology film is very much, you know, that, you know, 15 to 30 minute segment of a film. And it generally can be done really well in horror because just the nature of it, you don't always need a full 90 minutes to tell one story. The, I think I'm, more- I'm looking at season one right now and I'm going to say that I, I enjoyed at least half of season one. Um, let's actually, you know what, go through the episodes. because I'm um, Episode one is Incident on and off a mountain road. I think it's great. Which I think is great, I too. Think that is one of the perfect episodes. Where that's they, the one with Ethan Embry, right? Yes, that's the one where everybody's like, oh my god, <laughs> Ethan Embry got old. I know. I, I really liked that one. The second one is um, Dreams in the Witch House, which is Stuart Gordon's. I enjoy that one. I that's think the one bad. with um with um Ezra Godden in it, who's in who's I'm in, madly in love with. Um, He was in Dagon, the... Okay. I love him. I think that I think that one's pretty good. I like it. I think again, it's a it's a short story made on film, and it works, mm-hmm. and it has a really bleak ending. Yeah, um, it does, and I enjoy that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Dance of the Dead I, is the next one. Now, this is a Toby Hooper one. That's a Toby Hooper one, and it's based on one of my favorite Richard Matheson stories. So I didn't like this one because I, I thought it, I didn't think it was well done at all. Yeah, this to me is an example of what they did wrong, which is when some of the filmmakers were over ambitious. Mm-hmm. And in this one, like, Hooper tries to do a, a post-apocalypse. Yeah, it's weird. Thing and this, and he just tries. It, this feels like it's a three-hour movie, and it's, like, 58 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did not care for this one at all. Um, the next one is Jennifer, the Argento one, which I I've like actually one. never seen. It's, I mean, this is one of, like, the more kind of, like, icky, brutal, sexy ones. Yeah. I'd be curious about your thoughts on this one. I, we, we own the box set, so I should watch, should watch it. it. I, I think overall I like this one. Um, the next one is the McGarris one, <laughs> chocolate, which I enjoyed. Okay, my thing about I, I feel like McGarris and I would probably have a really fun, uh, you know, coffee date. I think we like the same things. <laughs> I appreciate his attitude and that he, I mean, because he, he was the brainchild behind this. He was the one who said, "I want to get yeah. a bunch of horror directors together and do a series." I just think he's a miserable director. Chocolate. I don't know, actually, because I hated it when I watched it. But then upon thinking about it, I feel like there there was some good things in it and that the idea of it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, yeah, I didn't enjoy watching it. 
Um, I yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, it's not my favorite at all in this in this section. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is Homecoming, Joe Dante's. But I like I like anything Joe Dante does. So yeah, well this I'm, this one to I'm me I'm kind of a mark. If you think about this, this was 2005. This was one of the first times I think I had seen in like on film a very specific blatant attack that, on. That's true. That's war. true. Yeah, this was really one of the first examples of somebody coming out and saying, hey, the Iraq war, let's look at this. And yeah. it's a really brave one. And it's also really funny and good. I like this one. And next is Dear Woman. Considering it's Landis, I'm really surprised I haven't seen this one. I haven't either. seen this one either. Which is weird. Um, Cigarette Burns. I love this one. I, I like that one a lot. I think Probably it's great. My favorite. Um, ooh, it's not mine. Um, Fair Haired Child, I haven't seen. Me neither. <clears throat> um, Sick Girl. Is that the Have Angela you, Bettis one? Yes. Fucking A right it is. I okay. fucking love this movie. I think it's so subversive and so fun, a movie yeah. ent- entry in this movie. Yeah. But I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And it disturbed me and it makes me depressed. And I just love it. It's just so great. <laughs> um, the next one is probably my favorite. I need because, to watch it. I really because it's Larry Cohen. I love and me, Larry. And it's Michael Moriarty, too. Right? Oh, fuck yeah. Right? Together it's again at last. Together again at last. I like it, and it's twisty. It's got a twist, and you're like, okay, well, I saw that twist, but whatever. <laughs> it's pick me up if anybody didn't know, and I didn't say it out loud. The next one is Hackle's Tale. Uh, <laughs> who directed this one? This one was John McNaughton. It was, I don't it was remember that one. Supposed to be George Romero directing, and it like. Oh no, I do. I do remember this one. I I think I was kind of like lukewarm on this. Yeah, I remember just being bored. I fell asleep, and I don't really, so I can't really give an accurate mm. description, but. Yeah. And then Imprint, which is... Um, I really okay. liked it. Imprint's the really disturbing abortion. I like, one. I like Imprint, too. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, and, and then you get into series two, like season two, series two. What country do I think I'm in? <laughs> um, and then I don't like anything in season two, to be honest with um, you. I liked Sounds Like, which was the Brad Anderson one. Mm, I'm trying, I'm just That's, going through real quick. Uh, oh, the no, Black Cat, no, the Black Cat was Stuart Gordon's again, and that one's really, really good. Okay. I oh my god, you should, have you seen that one? Pro-Life was the, um, no, I have not seen The Black Cat. Oh, you need to, it's really, it's actually really, really good. Okay. I just got excited. Um, I liked Pro-Life, which was, I think, the other John Carpenter one. It's the abortion <laughs> clinic one. Yeah, yeah, Um, I really, li- I don't know if I really liked, I, I like the idea of it more probably than the execution, but I still really enjoyed the Screwfly solution. Oh, uh, I, yeah, I, I've read about that one, I've never seen Jason it. In it. Oh, The Damned Thing is the first one, and it's Toby Hooper. And it's so bad. I don't think I saw it. Don't ever see it. It made me want to hurt people. <laughs> we all scream for ice cream is the clown one, and that one's fun. See, I, I have, I, I, because the, the damn thing is the first one, I really, it put me in a bad place with the whole thing. Uh, and the Washingtonians, I enjoyed. <laughs> oh, I see, I heard mixed things about that, too. Yeah, it's I, not great, but it, it, was, it was, that to me was like what the show, what I expected the show <laughs> to be, which was kind of like, it wasn't great, but it was really enjoyable. So is is it still on Instant Watch, do you know? I don't know. A lot of them were. A lot of them came off. They kind of go on and off, so. And then, and I, I know at one point most of them were, but then if you, do you recall Fear Itself, McGarrett? I never watched it. I remember okay. it coming on, but I did not watch it. I need it. to see if these are still on Instant Watch because there are a few of them that I really liked and I'd like to look at them again. I've heard really good things about, I forget who made it, but the one, was it Ronnie You? The one with um, Doug Jones. Um, I know Ronnie, you did one, but I don't I think it was a Wendigo one. 
Oh, maybe. There's one in there that Dar- Darren Lynn Bowsman did, who I don't really enjoy ever. But his, his, his is on point. His is good. It's like an interesting zombie one. Um, so I'd like to... Oh, I'd like to look at them again. I just got really excited because I think they're still on Instant. But that was a total tangent, and I'm sorry about that. Hey, okay, but you mean... <laughs> We're not, people aren't paying for this, so. That's true. You have to listen to us go episode by episode (laughs) through Masters of Horror. Um, No, but I am, I'm intrigued now. I might check out a few Fear Itselves. Because I'm looking at it and um, I know, and it says guest stars include Eric Roberts, and I don't remember which one he's in, Anna Kendrick, who I love, Brandon Brandon Routh, who, I mean, is nice to look at. Not talk about Superman Returns, shall we? No, we won't talk about that. But I now I really want to watch it, and I think Eater, which is Stuart Gordon's, I think I remember liking that. So you should watch it. Maybe by the next time you talk to us, we'll have talked. We'll have watched some of these episodes. I hope so. All right. So on those notes, yeah, I don't. Hey, I don't want to. I'm sorry. I think I tried to get us off of this. (laughs) Okay. Um, my thoughts are this: Antonio Sabato Jr. was smoking hot, and he had a shirt off a lot. Adrian Brody was adorable and it and it fanned the flames of my love once more. Um, if you go on IMDB and look the user lists on the side, one of them is titled Movies I Like. <laughs> so, so somebody There's really somebody liked out this. there. Somebody likes this movie. Somebody liked this enough to put it in a list titled Movies I Like. Um, my score for this of course quality of film first or quality of life. Quality Quality of film, I would give this um, a four. Quality of life, I would give it a five point five because of Adrian Brody. <laughs> um, okay, I surprisingly enough, I think I'm going to say the quality of film is less because <laughs> I just I think there's a lot wrong with it, and I think again, I because I feel like it really did miss the boat of this. Um, like this, you know, six this sixties drive-in spirit that it had at some point and lost. So I am going to go quality of film, 3.5. Wow. Uh, quality of my life, it made my day, 7. Wow. Yeah. Serious, here. serious business here. Indeed. Uh, so we're going to take a break and come back with the perfect companion piece to Jailbreakers. Absolutely. Bug. about um, huh? Freeman's follow-up to uh, Jailbreakers. That's his follow-up. 2006's Bug. I did not realize that this came out in 2006. For some reason, I thought it was a lot older than that. Well, it, it didn't get a huge release when it came out. It mostly because I think it's pretty obvious they had no idea how to market it. I don't 
don't even know what this movie is about, so I wouldn't know how to market it. Yeah, this is, you could sell it as a horror movie, which is kind of what they tried to do. Which would be disappointing to some people. Yeah, because if you went into this, if you were like a 15-year-old boy being like, yeah, I'm going to go see the next horror movie, bug, and then this is what you got, (laughs) you're probably not going to be happy. If you went to see it thinking you were watching, you know, a drama between with Ashley Judd, um, especially at that point in her career, you would probably have walked out of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it is a really indefinable film, which is kind of spoiler alert. Why I really like it, uh, but it was. Are we going to spoil the whole thing? Because I think to talk about the film, you have to talk about every aspect of it. Okay, I'm fair with that. So this is your warning, folks. Um, this is going to be completely spoilery because I didn't know anything the first time I watched this, and I it completely blew me away. And so. I can say that, yeah, this was my second time watching it, and it was very different. Yeah. yeah, I saw yeah, so many absolutely. things. So we are going to talk about this movie as if we've already seen it, because, well, we've already seen it. <laughs> You've already seen it. So if you have not seen the movie, uh, please exit now. Rent the movie from your nearest library or Netflix facility. Because uh, I am sure we both, I know, I mean, I recommend this movie a lot. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so go watch it uh, and come back and listen to the rest of us. Yes, bug. Uh, quick synopsis of it is essentially... Good luck, Emily. I can do this. I can do this. Agnes <coughs> is a um, 30, 40-something uh, waitress, um, single woman. Uh, her ex-husband was very violent and has been in prison and has just gotten out of prison. She is very lonely, very guarded about herself. And her only real friend is um, another waitress named R.C., and one day, R.C. introduces Agnes to a... <laughs> you said Agnes. I was great. Agnes. Uh, one day, her, her friend introduces her to a seemingly... Well, it's Michael Shannon, so you know he's going to be weird. Um, she introduces him to Michael Shannon, whose character name is Peter. And uh, Peter is kind of paranoid, quiet man, but somehow, for whatever reason, Agnes kind of feels safe with him. Um, Agnes, meanwhile, has been um, depressed for a very long time because some time ago her son was kidnapped or lost or something. Went to a supermarket with her son and he went missing and she has not seen him now. It's been 10 years or so. So Agnes is a damaged woman. Um, She very quickly kind of uh, forms this really odd but tight bond with Peter. uh, And they kind of go crazy together. Yeah. I, I can do it. Yeah, but you didn't talk about any of the bug stuff yet. I didn't talk about the bug stuff, yeah. Uh, Peter, after, well, because their meeting is interesting, because Peter kind of says to her, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in sex. Uh, but then they have sex. And then the next day, Peter sees a, a bug, and she just, and literally a bug in, you know, on the sheet. And very quickly, we we realize or we don't realize i don't know that's part of the whole conversation uh peter is kind of paranoid uh, mm-hmm. well he is i think i think he yeah, is paranoid. Kind of is, is a little uh, uh unnecessary peter is paranoid uh he you know <coughs> was a soldier kind of maybe he believes that he's being watched and followed and that the government is tagging him and has experimented on him when he was in the army by putting bugs in his skin and now um, they've probably spread to Agnes and they both kind of uh, essentially they just both feed off of each other and become more and more disconnected from the rest of the world uh, and this also comes into play with you know what ha- happened to Agnes's son 
Which... Oh, you're jumping so far ahead. Okay, so slow down then. <laughs> what would you like to talk uh, about? Um, okay, well, first and foremost, we, okay, this movie, you're kind of like, bug. Like, what the, what the fuck? I don't know what this movie is about, because I really, the first time I watched this, I didn't know what this movie was about, so I'm thinking, is it like a literal bug, like an actual bug, like a flyy, bitey bug, or is it like a bug, like my place is bugged? Conversation bug. Exactly. Or like, you know, a disease. Like, I have a bug. Not really. <laughs> I didn't think that or at all. Or is it the character from The People Under the Stairs? Is it a sequel about him? <laughs> it it, it all ties together. play his older brother? Yeah, kind of he could. Like. He could. But um, I didn't know. And it opens with Ashley Judd, Agnes, getting, like, weird phone calls. And, in, it, and this might shock you, in one of my favorite scenes of the film, right at the beginning when she walks out and there's a flyer on her car, but nobody else's. There's something really fucking creepy about that. I, yeah, yeah. I like, think I caught that. And it really bothered me the first time I watched it and the second time even more so. So her phone is ringing and no one's on the other end and she thinks that it's her ex-husband. And it's, I, I, I don't think it ever was personally because he I says i don't know if it ever rang oh my god don't even start with it that might not have that's the that's what really surprised me the second time i watched this the first Jesus time i watched Christ. this i was i mean i was bowled over the first time <laughs> because i thought this is a what a you know i mean fantastic performance movie but also just how disturbing it's it's a love story gone wrong i am i walk out of this movie and i feel you know awful um didn't even really think the first time about all of the paranoia stuff and what was real and what wasn't. But the paranoia stuff is like, you're like, oh my God, they're so paranoid. Because there are points in it where it's like crazy talk. Yeah. Where you're like, this is legitimate right. crazy talk. insane. Like when, you know, like at, they, they believe that there's bugs everywhere. Mm. And at, at points, even before it escalates to the point it ends up at, there's like, cut, they have cuts and rashes and yep. welts all over them. Right. And you're and, like, and they're crazy. The yeah, the best clue of any movie or book in trying to figure out who's crazy is how do other people react. And but are you going to talk about how RC reacts? Yes. Okay, but then RC reacts like you're crazy. What's going on? But then when when they when they get into the sp- into the mental place they are towards the end where they're rationalizing yep. and explaining everything, it fucking makes it, sense. It makes sense. You're like, wait, okay. <laughs> Yeah, maybe and it's, scary as, it's scary as shit yeah. because you're they're like, well, RC is in on it because the, there's just this little bit of information that RC is a lesbian and she's her and her partner are trying to get, I believe it's her partner's child. Yeah, they're trying to get that custody. They're trying to get custody. And it's just kind of offhandedly out there. And then it's offhandedly introduced that, oh, they got custody. And and Agnes is like, that's how they, they sold us out mm-hmm. to get to get custody of this kid back. And it fucking made sense. It, it made it could sense. Be, yeah. And it's and of course, I you mean, know, the phone ringing because the phone rings when because well, I mean, well, when um, Peter is there, he answers the phone at one point. Mm-hmm. But again, well, at this point, they have fed into each other so much that. <laughs> If the way she's seeing bugs, because he's told her there's bugs, maybe he's hearing the phone now because she's told him the phone rings. And then, and aside from just the fact that is this stuff even happening, a big part of it also, it, from what I gathered, was just perception of things that were actually happening. Because there's when there's the helicopters, and I don't know if you picked up on this, 
it's like so fucking bizarre when there's helicopters above there because the whole time they're they're basically in uh, the hotel room that Agnes lives in. Right, ninety percent of this movie is, is on, which is amazing. Yeah, well, because uh, it's, it's based on a play, a one set play, yeah. and, and it, I think it works it so well. So they, they translate so it well. so well. So it doesn't feel theatrical to me. No, not at all. It's very claustrophobic, very intimate. It works so well. But when there's helicopters, they the lights are outside and you can see you can hear it in like the wind. But it's so exaggerated. It's like a helicopter was literally touching down inside their room. But then it cuts, especially at the end, it cuts to where um, what's his face is outside. Why can't I think Harry Connick Jr. is outside? and there are helicopters because I view that I view that as an om- omnipotent point of view. What what we see of Harry Connick Jr. outside of the hotel room is truth to me. I chose to interpret it like that. And there were helicopters, but it wasn't windy that windy outside. It wasn't that right, loud it wasn't outside. That intense. They're coming to get you. Helicopter. Could it but have been a helicopter in inside, it felt like that. Mm-hmm. So that's where I feel like they some of this. Yeah, some of the stuff could have actually been happening, but it was the way that they chose to view it. Okay, I'll buy that. Um, do we need to do... Now, did you watch through the credits? Did I watch through the credits? There are two shots in the credits. Right after the movie ends, I think it's right before the credits, there is a shot of the place. I'm trying to remember how it is where it's not burned down, but there's the doctor's body laying there. And then oh, a little gosh, bit no, I, in the credits... The credits played, but I think I got up. up. Weird. Um, a li- later on in the credits, there's a quick shot of <laughs> the apartment with kids' toys there. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I can't think of an answer for either one of them. Because if the doctor's... I mean, because the doctor is another really... Um, a, a part that on one hand could easily answer the question to you of, well, here is a doctor coming to take him away because he's crazy and they have been looking for him because he's crazy. But the, and the doctor comes in and we see him and we believe him. And now we have this other point of view, but then the doctor, the, was the first thing the doctor does, he sits down and takes a hit off of her pipe. It's exactly his actions undermine everything else. Right. And so it's so, it's really weird. It becomes impossible to really know if he's real and if he is how much of what he's doing is he actually doing mm-hmm. you know and then and then he immediately is like he knows about her son and he's like we can you know we can and that put me off right away like why does he know about her right, son right. well why? i kind of remember the duck because is it like she says something about him no like, oh yeah no, no okay no he brings it up okay. and it's so bizarre but the and 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 I don't think because Michael Shannon ends up killing the doctor because he thinks he's a robot. I don't right. know if I think he's a robot. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'd like him to be a robot. But I definitely didn't trust him in the situation. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just at that point in the movie they have put you on his side enough that you're kind of like, well, maybe maybe they are seeing things right. Or is it just that, well, the doctor's fucking smoking a pipe. Something's weird about this. It's so, it's so bizarre. Yeah. And that's, that actor too. Um, I've seen that actor everywhere. He, I saw him on stage when he was in, actually, I've seen him in stage in, bo- in questionable roles. He was in, I saw him in Doubt where he played um, the priest who <laughs> might or might not have molested a boy. Uh, and I saw him in a play called Frozen where he played a child murderer. 
So um, he knows how to pick good roles. Yeah, and he, and he was on Oz for a while. He was like an Irish terrorist. <laughs> he so, did look super familiar. Maybe that's where him. I knew yeah, him from. If you Google him, you've you've probably seen him in any movie that had like an Irish guy. He's probably played. Plus, why the fuck was his name Dr. Sweet? That was so fucking weird. It was just so weird. Strange things about it. Um, where you... Oh. And then the fucking, they get a pizza delivered. But right. no one ordered a pizza. No ordered pizza. But I have to believe that pizza existed, right? Like, or was that pizza completely imagined? I don't know. Well, because we know that the doctor had another guy with him when he came in. Didn't, wait, wasn't the other guy Harry Carr Jr.? No, 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 no. I don't think so. No, no, it wasn't. Oh, I mean, look, at, look in the credits. There's like five people in this movie. Because again, stage play where I know there was nobody really in. small cast. <coughs> um, you look and there is a character. Oh, wait, it, it it had to have been because there's the pizza man, the man in grocery store, the doctor, and then our Agnes Peter, Harry Connick Jr. and RC. Right. So Pizza Harris, Bob Neal. It's the pizza guy. The pizza guy. The guy who delivered the pizza. Right. It's not that he didn't come in with the doctor. You're right. There's nobody credited in that part. So it was Harry Connick Jr. Well, maybe. And if I choose to believe that Harry Connick Jr. represents a truthful... No, but he was fucking in bed with them. He was working with them. I'm see, I'm so torn. <laughs> I'm so torn. Well, now, another thing that comes up, because, of course, Ashley Judd, start after she kind of starts reasoning everything out and comes up with this theory, she said, you know, she kind of decides maybe... Um, her, Harry Connick Jr., her ex, was involved with it from the beginning. And maybe, you know, when they took the son away, they took it so that they can give the son to him and that he would leave her with the son. Now, the other thing that comes up, now, this, she was with her son at a grocery store when her son disappeared. Mm-hmm. Now, at what point do, do we stop trusting Ashley Judd? Could she have been crazy 10 years ago and lost him or... Killed him or something. <clears throat> exactly, because if you, question that if, you, if you really pay attention to the way Harry Connick Jr.'s character um, interacts about the child, it's really kind of weird. Like when yeah. there's a point where he comes back to the hotel room and um, Michael Shannon has all the kids' clothes out and Harry Connick Jr.'s like, yeah, she is not going to like this. He, he, he sniffs the shirt. And it seems like there's a kind of connection for Harry Connick Jr. in in those items, but it doesn't feel like he has the same, like it's she is going to be upset. Right. And I I was just like was it felt weird to me, especially on the second viewing, kind of with huh. it in, in with it in your head, like you doubt. Right. Does he know? Does he know where the kid is? Does yeah, he know he that the kid's been okay things. the whole time? Yeah. It's because Harry, Co- Harry Cotter Jr. is also so good in this movie. Yeah, he's really fucking good. And, I mean, his first scene, he comes in and he's, what's so great is he's so terrifying before he lays a hand on her. Just in the way she acts towards him and just his kind of very kind of quiet, calm manner. He is absolutely terrifying. Um, and yet then later when you come back to him and he becomes kind of the sane character or the character that you start to think, Maybe he's also, uh, maybe he's right, A. Maybe, I don't know, because I did start to question, and because he does, when he talks about the son, he kind of even says things like, well, you know, you lost him. Yeah. And it starts to make me think, maybe she is at fault for that. And, I mean, there's no way of knowing, I'm sure. Um, the, the, you know, the thing I love, because I also really like this about Doubt, the, the play and movie, the beauty of that play is that 
there are no answers in the script. You, as a as an actor, you get to make those choices. And every actor can play it differently and can say, I'm guilty or I'm not guilty. And I feel like it's the same here, where you, Ashley Judd could have believed, and pro- I think to play the part, you kind of just have to believe it from the surface level of, I am sane and Peter is starting, is right, and I'm, I'm starting to really agree with him. But you could also play it as, but it's all because I killed my son 10 years ago or something. Like, there, there is so much room within it. And you almost wonder, like, you know, you could remake this in 20 years. And not this movie does not need a remake by any means because it, it's great. But I would love to see, I would really just love to see it on stage because I would love to see different actors. Oh, be- exactly. Because there's, there's a point in this where I, I really feel like Ashley Judd, like, as, a, as an actress didn't know if she believed him or not. Like, it's such a convincing performance where she doubts him so sublimely that you're like, oh my God, I doubt him too now. And if somebody, if somebody never, never felt that, then you would always believe that these two characters, whether they're crazy or not, are on the same page the entire time. And I don't believe that they're on the same page the entire time. Right. It just, I think it is, to me, there's a lot of things this movie's about. Um, I think, you know, the main thing is it is about when being a damaged person and as hard as that is, the worst thing is when you meet somebody who is equally damaged and you two, instead of improving each other, you just damage each other further. Um, And that's, you know, what happens here. They both... You know, she was doing okay. She, I mean, she wasn't happy by any means. Well, she was an alcoholic. I mean, she was an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I suppose. You know, she was not happy. But, and so being with this man who she just forms this connection with, and once she, because I, I think it is a choice, she lets herself see the bugs in the beginning. Oh, absolutely. And as soon as she does, it's just, it is easier and more fulfilling to believe everything this man says than to fight him on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the other thing about this movie that I really noticed this time around, what I think is really amazing about it is that if you watch, depending on the audience you watch this movie with, you could find this movie to be absolutely hysterical and a fantastic black comedy, and it wouldn't necessarily lose anything. Because there are so many scenes, and early scenes are funny. Like, I mean, when my, Michael Shannon's first line is, I'm not an axe murderer. <laughs> that's hysterical but even just the um when they're looking at the bugs when all four of them are in a room together and they're looking at the bugs and they're kind of talking and sounding crazy and all these things are going on if you let yourself start to laugh it's really funny it is the performances really funny. and the writing it, it's like it's okay to find it really amusing um but at the same time it's you know, you realize it's horrifying and what's happening to these people is terrible. And you don't know, like, you're not necessarily laughing at the characters. You're laughing at kind of what's going on. Oh, it's, a, it's like an absurd situation. Yeah, and even yeah. when the doctor comes in the same thing. <laughs> when the doctor picks up, you know, her pipe and smokes himself a bowl, it be, you have to wonder, you're like, am I allowed to laugh? And then he's sitting on the, the, the fuel that they're going to use right, to right. set themselves. And he just, he's, he just kind of like, uh. Yeah. Like, so and that's what's amazing to me, because I think even William Friedkin has said, like, yeah, the movie's a black comedy. And it's amazing to me that, like, 
it would be hard to watch it and laugh at it because you would feel like you were demeaning the performances, which are so good and go for broke. But at the same time, you could watch it and laugh your ass off at it and still be like, that was a great black comedy. I don't know. It's, and I, I think that, to me, was the biggest surprise of rewatching it that I didn't pick up on the first time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, but another great Michael Shannon line is, because uh, he's not drinking when Ashley Judd's drinking, and she's like, you know, you make people who don't drink make me nervous. He's like, I make people nervous anyway. <laughs> that was so good. It's Michael Shannon. He does. <laughs> but he's so great. So good. And he has a farmer's tan. Oh, I didn't notice that. He does. It's okay. It's Michael Shannon. It's, it's, he can do it. He's so cute. Um, we had brought up last week whether or not uh, Ashley was Ashley Judd nude. It totally is. I forgot that last part. Yeah, because that's what I was. I kind of remembered it. I'm like, oh, I think she's like full frontal. Um, I don't remember I... during like the sexy sex scene in the beginning. It might not have been her because a lot of close ups. It, it was. It was the way that was shot. I, that's what I remember. I forgot right, that last right, right. part, but right, I take I take it all back. Her boobs are great. They look great, and I <laughs> I don't know why I doubted her. Yeah. And, I mean, she, this was probably, like, her first real chance to show that she could really act. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, she's somebody who you always would see as, like, the, the token girlfriend character for a lot of things. Uh, and this was certainly the first and still kind of only thing I saw where I was like, wow, Ashley Judd is a good actress. I have to look at her filmography now. Yeah, I just feel like she always kind of just did, like, the, the like, Tommy Lee Jones dramas and things like that where she just didn't really get to show off much. Like du- du- double Jeopardy, she's that's a good movie. Like a bunch of those um, but yeah, oh, she was she was in Natural Born Killers with um, scenes were deleted. parentheses scenes deleted, and Adrian Brody was in Natural Born Killers parentheses um, not credited. But I can find him in that movie. So if you ever need help, I can I can tell you where he is. <laughs> it's a good talent to have, Christine. Uh, you know, I can pick him out of a crowd. <laughs> Um, I appreciate any movie that essentially begins. Now, do you know who the real villain is of this movie? Um, the bugs. No, even before the bugs. Oh, alcohol, probably. No, 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 honey bun, no. Who's the real villain, Emily? Onions. Why? Oh my god! Why? What is she just doing when she loses her son buying a fucking onion? Is she buying onions? She is, yeah, because remember in the very first scene when she's in the supermarket? Yeah, she, like, they zoom in on onions, but on I didn't onions. And then later on she says, like, she has a, a monologue at one point where she's like, I was in the grocery store and. I fucking miss that. Yeah, and buying onions. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, now, for those of you who don't know, I motherfucking hate onions. I, I love just, onions. I despise them a lot. Delicious. Yeah, so I like any movie that purports that the real evil is the onion. The onion is evil. The onion is evil. And now we know. Yeah, that was true. Ashley Judd was like in Kiss the Girls, Eye of the Beholder, Double Jeopardy. Like a lot of yeah, the, those those movies that I really like from the 90s. Also, <laughs> also Where the Heart Is. Have you ever seen that? That's the, one, that's the one. That's the one. I used to it used to always be on cable and I used to watch it all the time. <laughs> it's not good, okay. but... Um, and Michael Shannon had originated this role on stage. He, oh, um, really? I yeah, didn't know yeah. That. He was. Um, I don't think he did it. Um, played it on Broadway, but he started it in Chicago. because uh, this is written by Tracy Letts, who also wrote Killer Joe. Oh, yeah, I did. I saw that when I was going through. Um, tra- yeah, Tracy Letts is uh, a. Well, I think came up with the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago, 
and has written a few plays. He's actually on Broadway right now in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? He's playing George. Um, but so this was, I don't think this was Steppenwolf Theater, but it was a, a theater in Chicago and Michael Shannon had started the role. Um, and then, you know, I think, I think Bill Friedkin went to see it and saw Michael Shannon in the part and was like, I'm making this movie and you're coming with me. And he's just so good. He, he is really he's really good when he pulls his I don't know how we haven't talked about him pulling his own tooth out when he pulls his own tooth out <laughs> and, it's fine it's fucking me. frightening it's frightening but it's also kind of funny well it is it's the way he plays it too yeah, but it's like, it's still frightening and, it's, and that's what's so bizarre about it is the first time I watched it I was like oh teeth trauma and like this time I wanted to laugh at it and not in a negative way it just was really like I, I mean yeah it this is to me it is a it is both a paranoia horror movie. It is it is a black uh, comedy. It's a love story. It's it's so many things, and I love these kinds of movies that uh, are not um, that do not fit the conventional definition of a horror movie, mm-hmm. but that give you that same effect. Yeah, it's just it's one of my favorite kind of genres that I have yet to coin a name for. <laughs> but I just I always appreciate that, and I think it's something that's. Um, yeah, that I just find often really disturbing and terrifying and fascinating. So, yeah, that's uh, most of I, my thoughts. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, um, that's most of my thoughts too. Um, I really enjoy this movie quite a bit. Yeah, I hope it finds um, a audience or appreciation at some point. It didn't really get much discussion one way or another when it came out, and again, I think it was because they it was marketed as a horror movie. So I feel like they, like, the two of them got some nominations here and there from some, like, you know, the Sundance Awards or something like that. But they didn't, because I think the movie had been kind of pigeonholed as a genre movie, it didn't go on anybody's radar to see for Oscar season or anything like Mm -hmm. that. Well, and I think if with the genre people, when you see somebody like Ashley Judd, you immediately make... Especially, you know, when the movies leading up to this, like we just said, yeah, were, were a lot of action-y. Like crime thrillers and stuff like that. Like you make assumptions. Sure. But she, I didn't, I didn't, the first time I watched this, I certainly didn't expect her performance to be so bold. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, so, they, they both go for broke and it, it pays off. And I mean, again, Harry Connick Jr. is so good. Uh, he is really, really good, oh, man. I know it's not his movie, but I really wish he had been around more. Right. <laughs> Right, but again, like he just—he does something really strong in this movie, which is just his presence is really effective. Absolutely, and when he's on screen, it's important and necessary. And when he's not, and he's still that looming figure, it's important. But like when he is there, actually, like interacting, it's—I enjoyed it quite a bit. The same thing with RC, Mm -hmm. who I—I really liked the woman. Her name is Lynn Collins, I guess. And I didn't realize she's been in a shit ton of stuff. Including a great episode of Law and Order SVU. Oh, really? Yeah. She, she was young in that. She was, um, her character on that episode, and it's from season one or two, is like a teenager who uh, fell in love with this guy that was living. It's, at- it's, her, it's her first acting credit. Is it really? Oh, yeah. she, she gets this really great monologue at the end of that episode where she talks about seducing this older man. Is she good in it? Because I thought she was really good in this movie. I, I think she was actually. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I don't remember her in anything because I'm going through and I've seen stuff. Mm-hmm. And here's here's my 
like stupid inconsequential knowledge poll. She's in Blood Creek, which is the the Nazi movie with Michael Fassbender. I love I love to hate that movie. So I really want to rewatch it because I want to find her in it because I was just really I was really taken with her in this. I thought she was great. Yeah, I agree. The first time I watched it, I feel like I, I, I felt something strange in her line delivery that sounded strange to me, but I don't know if it was just I was younger when I saw it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this time around, I also liked her a lot more um, than I remembered liking her as an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I saw Blood Creek, but again, it was one of those lazy watches. So I don't, I don't really like that movie, but I would watch it again, <laughs> which I guess says something about me. Yes. <laughs> All right, so do we have any more to say or should we read it? Um, yeah, let's read it. All right, this is hard. You go uh, I'll go first. Well, uh, it's a lot better than Jailbreakers. Yes. I will admit that. Um, we didn't really talk about Bill Freaking himself here, but I, yeah. Good direction, Willie. Yeah, good job, sir. I am going to rate this movie, and I'm going to go... Because, yeah, you know, because on second viewing, it was more, so much more interesting to me than I remember. I remembered it being powerful. On second viewing, for me, it was, there is so much more going on in this movie that I didn't get the first time. <laughs> I am going to go 8.75 for quality of movie. Wow. For quality of life, um, I am, because you know, because I really enjoy it and I enjoy how much it makes me think about different things. I'm just going to also go 8.75. All right. Awesome. You? Um, I'm going to say quality of film. I'm, I'm going to say 8.75. Okay. Cheers. Um, I might even be able to go higher, but I don't know why I'm wary to because nine is like a big statement. I agree. I agree. But I'm going to say quality of life. I'm going to say nine. Okay. Absolutely. Because it, it, um, it, renews my faith in the art of subtle storytelling like give me don't tell me unnecessary information that is unnecessary every bit of information you give me should should do something and it does in this even if it's just when they're just like rambling back and forth about their theories every bit of information we've been giving plays into those theories so i really appreciate that about i think the screenplay (laughs) and it is like, like you said about the rc character just that, you know, we know, like, three things about her. And it does, never feels forced onto you. It's just they're talking, you know, two girls talking. Oh, you know, how's everything? Well, we're really hoping to get custody. Blah, blah, blah. And that, that you could re- read that as an insequential detail. Or it pays <coughs> off when you really start to think about it. You know, yeah. This is actually a really impressive, impressively written screenplay. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yay. All right. So now we're going to, uh, before, before we tell you what we're doing next week, um, Netflix instant recommendations. Yes. Have you one, Christine? I have one. You want me to go first? Sure. Okay. I feel like this is making the rounds of people saying people should watch this. And, um, and I'm another person saying you should watch this. And I'm also going to, before I tell you what it is, I'm going to tell you that it, it like without any hyperbole, it changed my life. Like, <laughs> This is maybe one of the best movies I've seen um, in, like, like the last year. Um, It's Take This Waltz, the Sarah Pauly movie starring um, Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams. 
Have you seen this yet? No, I remember when it came out because I remember um, I have a huge girl crush on Sarah Polly. Oh my gosh, me too. Huge girl. We, we will eventually cover um, a couple of movies. Everything she said, yeah. Forever, because I've always wanted to talk about them. But yeah, so knowing that she was making a movie and knowing that it had Michelle Williams in it, who I really like. Uh, I, oh, excited, so. if you, you will love her in this. Okay. Um, she is fucking tremendous. Like she's tremendous and she makes Carrie Mulligan faces the entire time but that's neither here nor there like there are times where I'm like wait a second is this Carrie Mulligan like I get like legitimately confused but I I um Dylan watched it and he's like I think he would like this and it's, it takes a lot for him to say that and then um Rick on the gentleman's guide had watched it I, I heard a recent episode well some recent to me because I'm really behind where he said that he liked it and I feel like he and I have very similar tastes in this kind of movie okay um, so I watched it and I'm seriously like I I was I was talking about it after with Dylan and I started crying. It's one of those movies like it is. It's wrecked me emotionally. It's spoken to the depths of me. OK, so right. watch it. It's uh, on totally Instagram. Watch so it. watch it. I will totally put it on there. Um, my recommendation is not a life changer. It was just <laughs> one of those movies that I was flipping around on Instant Watch and saw that this was on there. And I was like, oh, you know, this is a good example of a um uh, interesting adaptation of a really hard book to adapt, and that is Slaughterhouse Five. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's on Instant Watch, and if you, you know, is it? I had no idea it was. Yeah, um, I, I, re- I used to be a huge Vonnegut fan, and then I read more of his books and realized they're all the same book except for Slaughterhouse Five. Um, and I still enjoy his writing, and I love his nonfiction, but I just do kind of feel like every book is the same. Uh-huh. Slaughterhouse Five is significantly different and a little weightier because it's about war. Um, and I had, I had taught Slaughterhouse-Five a couple years ago when I was living in Korea. So I, like, have a big connection to the book. And I feel like the movie does a lot of things right. Uh, and it's, it's in a way, it, I, it's not anywhere near the experience of the book. Because the book is so unique that to capture that on screen, it doesn't fully work. But it was, I think, as good an adaptation as you can make. And I really like um, the casting in it, that Billy Pilgrim is this kind of, Torpy guy, which is he supposed to be, and I feel like if they were to do it today, they would have gone a different route. And that is is the woman playing his wife is this kind of big, um, unattractive woman, and all these little things that I think they do right in the film. So it's one of those, yeah, you know, if you're curious that if you've always assumed the Slaughterhouse Five movie was shit, I would beg you to differ. <laughs> oh, would you interesting. For yourself. So that would be my recommend. Hey. Now, uh, next time <clears throat> we meet. Yes, next time we meet. Hopefully, I'll have a voice. We hope. And, and, I, and I'm sorry if this was tough to listen to for I anybody. feel like you sound better by now. So I think Thanks. it's good for you. Uh, the cure for every uh, cold and cough, folks. Podcasting. That's true. Now, I had this wonderful idea that Christopher <sighs> got very angry at. Apparently. Awful idea. Awful I idea. Since the next time we'll be recording will probably be around Valentine's Day. Hey, wouldn't it be fun if we did like a top five list of our favorite like, you know, love story movies, because we probably have some interesting ones, and, you know, it'll be a good opportunity to talk about movies we don't normally talk about, or just movies that people don't think about, and this apparently was the worst thing in the world to Christine. Okay, how did, how did I tell you it was the worst thing? By asking a lot of questions, because I didn't understand. Well, because I'm like, oh, I don't know, let's do, like, lovey movies, and then you were like, well, does it have to be romance? And I'm like, well, at that point, that's like every movie ever. But like, could it be? Could it be our favorite familial um, love relationships, or like the love 
of a between a man and, and like like a horse or the love between I, mean, I feel like, like that just opens up the door to almost any movie ever made but i don't like romance you, that, that's why i wanted to be like these are alternative <laughs> romances that people don't but think of i still don't even if it's alternative i usually like i it i came up with five movies but i like really had to think about it <laughs> Like first, like a, you. as an alternative, you can think of movies that are like anti-romance. I don't even know about that. <laughs> yeah, we have some time. Think about it. Like a child. So we will be back eventually with a very Valentine episode, and along with that, what's uh-huh. the movie that you sort of picked? The movie that I picked, and I'm making air quotes right now because <laughs> I'm. A- Emily picked it for me. As, um... No, 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 no. I'll have your email open. Let's go back to this email where I said something. Um, oh, I can't I can't remember. I don't know. That was it. Because I said, why don't you pick anti-romance movies like Blue Valentine? <laughs> and then you said something snarky back to me. And I said, hey, I like Blue Valentine. And then you said, I've never seen it. I've right, never seen that. Okay, but I do want to see it. So I'm picking Blue Valentine because Michelle Williams. Oh, She's my baby. No, God, no! I can't. I can't do it anymore. No, seriously, you know it's not like a, a happy movie, right? I know. I'm serious. This time I'm I know. No, I know. I know it's not a happy movie. All right. So Christine, air quotes, picked Blue Valentine. I picked Blue Valentine. While I decided um, a movie that I have once I've not revisited since the first time I watched it, and I think it is an example of a romance done right in a movie because it for a lot of reasons that i'll talk about um and hopefully it will hold up because again i only watched it once it may suck this time around and that would be whatever his name is who made amelie's a very long engagement yes which i haven't seen since it first came out so i'd like to look at it again yeah i've been itching to revisit it and it seems appropriate (laughs) sorry geez no it's appropriate apparently i hate love I know. I thought you liked it based on how heartbroken you were at Atonement. I'm just gonna say I'll pick five movie love movies and they'll all be Atonement. But nobody wants to fucking hear me talk about that movie anymore, so I can't <laughs> and I can't include it on anything. I'm not gonna reference it anymore. I can't. I'm done. All right. I want you to take some time to think about this. And we'll okay. be back. And hopefully by then, you won't be so angry at the world, Christine. Okay, I won't be. Okay. If you would like to reach us, you can email us. Um, the feminine, the f- critique. feminine Critique at yahoo.com. You can tweet us uh, at uh, Feminine Podcast. I think that's right, yeah. That is right. Uh, or just, you know, the most fun place to hang out would be our Facebook page. Facebook, that's the place where I'll see it if you say something. That's true. <laughs> oh, so we wish you all a happy Groundhog Day. Happy birthday, Emily. Thank you. Yes, this is what I decided to do on my birthday. This is what Emily did. She saw saw her shadow and she decided to do a podcast. (laughs) That is how it works out. This is my first day off in a really long time. And what did I do with it? I took my laundry to the laundromat. I had a chocolate and cherry scone for breakfast. Delicious. Uh, Now I am podcasting. And after this, I might watch Bloody Birthday because it's kind of my tradition. Oh, well, enjoy. Thank you. Birthday girl. We will talk to you folks soon. Goodbye. Bye, mother bugs. Sun tanned, wind blown, honey.
Give to you and to give.